Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Danny Thompson with Garmin. I know we had previously talked a ton about Hummingbird and Garmin starting to make a little bit of a push. So we're going to talk about Garmin with Danny. Kind of a um, who, what, where, when, how, and why with with Danny. And Carrie's going to join us on that. Carrie's not here with the intro, but typically um, she hasn't been available. And so I think she was missing us, Brad. She just wanted to jump in. She hasn't been on in a while. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. She had some questions of her own, I think. And uh, I don't know. She likes being a part of it. There's no doubt, Jeff. It's just uh, a matter of timing. Oh, yeah. And our timing isn't always the greatest. You pretty much got that right. But, hey, we're slipping it in every week and making sure that it happens. And that's all that really matters. Yes. And from what I gathered, based on you know feedback from the Milwaukee Muskie Expo, guys, anglers really still listen it's really awesome when we hear from actual real live people that they are listening so that's pretty cool i talked to a gentleman on sunday by the name of adam cooper from wisconsin and adam here's your reminder got to get your boat out more this year i know you listen every week you're driving back and forth to uh the airport and so uh make sure you get your boat out more I, I should heed my own advice and get my boat out more, too. I know I didn't do that. But, Brad, what did you think of the Milwaukee Muskie Expo? Hey, we had a great show. It was uh, it was packed with a bunch of people throughout the weekend. And uh, we had a little bit of a mess of weather on Friday. But, honestly, I don't think it stopped anybody from coming and seeing us. Definitely didn't seem like it. And our next stop, I know Brad and Carrie, Muskie Mayhem Tackle, their next stop is also going to be in... Minnesota at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. That's new venue from previous years, March 4th, 5th, and 6th. And I know there had been concern about, you know, vaccine mandates and stuff like that. And from what I'm told, there's nothing going on there. And then as of, I guess, a few days ago, I think that Minneapolis-St. Paul area actually rescinded all that stuff. So if that was one of your concerns, then it should no longer be a concern. So come on out. And see us in, uh, what is that, Brad? Like two weeks, roughly, we'll be setting up there? Yeah, from the, yeah, I guess it will be. It should be about two weeks from uh, the airing of this episode. So, I don't know. It's coming quick. Got a lot to do to try to get prepared for that one. But, uh, like always, we always somehow succeed. One way or another, you get it done. But uh, we just want to thank everybody for coming out to the show, supporting us. It was good to see faces, good to put you know, faces with some names, got to meet a bunch of customers, talk, you know, musky fishing. And uh, for that, we are very thankful for your support. So thank you again for coming out. Thank you for listening every week. I mean, it's really pretty cool to hear how many stories of how many people are, are listening every week. Like I said, we see download numbers, but it doesn't translate to real people until we're out there in person. And we just, you know, we get the feedback from, from you. Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, it's always fun to hear everybody talking and thanking you and so on and so forth, you know, and it makes you feel good, makes it worth the time. That's for sure. When you start to hear everybody's uh, interest in listening. So absolutely awesome. For sure. And if you're still looking for gear, if you didn't make it out to the show and you're and you're looking to gear up for the season, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And you can also find Brad and Carrie's stuff at MuskyMayhemTackle.com. I know, Brad, you've been putting out a couple new episodes of your Mayhem's 10,000 cast. It seems like that's going pretty well. It's been a pretty cool show for two episodes. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for the support on that as well. You know, it can be viewed on KOTV and uh, on any Roku device. But, you know, the, the cool thing about the, the KOTV is you can go to kotvchannel.com and watch it live on any mobile device as well without Roku. So that definitely helps. Um, and then as well on 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. on Sundays, we release it to YouTube as well. So go check it out. Mayhem's 10,000 cast. It's been a lot of fun. Learned a lot this past season. I'm hoping to improve it as we keep going forward. All right, Brad. Short and sweet this week. I still am trying to dig out from being gone at the show for four days. And I think we're just going to dial up our conversation with Danny Thompson. And we'll talk a little bit about Garmin. Sounds like a plan, Jeff. Our guest today is Danny Thompson with Garmin, and we have Danny on today because we're going to talk about, you know, this is 
the technology that Garmin has out, and now Hummingbird, I guess, is matching some of that stuff, but that's the leading-edge technology. I mean, it used to be side image all the time, and now we talk more about, you know, panoptics. And so, Danny, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you got plenty to do. Why don't you talk a little bit about, I guess, your position with Garmin, and then we'll, you know, dive into a bunch of different, you know, Q&A for me and Brad and Kerry. Yeah, for sure. So, like I said, I'm Danny Thompson. I'm, I'm actually the regional sales manager for Garmin Marine. I kind of cover the upper Midwest, so I always say I kind of get the fun states with the Dakotas and Minnesota, Wisconsin, and some of those areas. And so I've been with Garmin for over six years now. And when I first started, Garmin was kind of originally looking at getting into this inland market, you know, um, up here where Garmin traditionally has done very well with the offshore market and is very big down in Florida and those places. So we're kind of looking to grow this region. They had, had a lot of ideas and technology they were looking at bringing into this market um, to kind of get it going. And, you know, so here I am six years later and we're talking live sonar, you know, the purchase of Navionics and a whole lineup of units, you know, from, you know, inland specific units aimed at the musky guy and the walleye guy and the crappie fishermen. So it's really been kind of a, a fun ride and a fun journey to be a part of to really see what Garmin has been able to do to, to kind of grow this market and really become, you know, one of the top leaders in this area, especially when it kind of comes to that live scope and that live technology. Yeah, that's for sure, Danny. I, you know, it's so remarkable and there's a lot of word like in the musky world right now, there's tons of people talking Garmin. So it's great to have you on and I'm looking forward to the conversation here. Yeah, for sure. And and, you know, it's it, like I said, it's just, it's been a cool, you know, building up to what we have. And, you know, originally when we kind of got going, it was like, okay, we've got good sonar, you know, especially when you're talking offshore, deep water, we've got the technology for the great sonar. Um, you know, one of the areas we were kind of needing improvement on was that mapping. So we, we went out, we picked up Navionics and then just have been slowly kind of building up this live sonar technology to go along with all the other pieces. And, um, you know, really have a pretty awesome lineup and offering of product now. Well, one thing that piques my interest right away is that uh, the purchase of Navionics. And I know that Garmin, one of the issues that I've seen or heard is potential issues with some of the mapping on some of the freshwater lakes, like throughout Minnesota, Wisconsin, and so forth. Is that something that we're going to see in the near future? Uh, some map cards, potentially, or preloaded, if you will? For sure. So kind of the the big announcement that we had would have been two weeks ago now was our new Garmin Navionics Plus. And so what we've done is, you know, when we purchased Navionics, it's been a couple of years now, but it's been a big merger of trying to bring Garmin and Navionics together and get everybody talking the same language and on the same page. And I think we finally have done that with this new mapping. We're, we're going to slowly do a little bit different of approach, as you can see with this, where I think the day of having, you know, 10 different cards in your boat based on you know, what state or area or country you're going to, I think that's going to kind of end. A lot of this stuff is going to be app-based now. So we've got our Active Captain app. You're going to be buying your maps and your updates from that app, sort of like Navionics has been, you know, with their app in the past. So I think that's going to be kind of a, a cool feature. But the other cool part is, is, you know, Garmin themselves, we, we have a lot of great mapping boats. We go out, we map different lakes and, and get maps, you know, that are the most up-to-date, most accurate maps that you can possibly get. And the cool part is, I think whoever was making the decisions on what lakes we go to was a musky guy, because it's like all the great musky lakes are the ones that we have what we call our max depth um, mapping of. So places like Vermilion, Cass, Bemidji, White Bear Lake, Lake Minnetonka, Lake Winnebago, all of these have been done by Garmin in our own boats with our own technology that gives you some of the best mapping possible. I think we just did Leech and Malax in the last summer here as well. So, I mean, the amount of good mapping that we have, and then you take all that Navionics information as well and put that together, and now on this new easier to view option and, and almost a little bit more Navionics looking. I think mapping is a huge bright spot for us going forward. Yeah, that piques my interest a ton. Carrie's got a quick question here though for you too, Danny. Does Garmin do anything with the auto chart or is that something that's maybe coming in the future? Yes. One cool thing that Garmin has, and, and this is awesome. My parents are on a lake kind of up by the Longville area or Hackensack, Minnesota, the private lake, 
There's no public access. It's actually a great muskie lake and there's no map of it. I think it was like the stock map is maybe like a 10 foot contour map. Nobody's really going to go map it because there's no public access. So what Garmin has is we've got our quick draw contours. It's a feature that's built into all of our chart plotters where you literally just take a blank SD card, put it in the unit. And when you get on the lake, you hit record and it'll record, you know, all of that lake information and put that map right there on that SD card for you. So it's on your unit and that's free. It's built in. You don't need special cards or anything expensive to do it. Awesome. That's a big thing on some of the lakes that we have. You try and find some of those spots on the spots. Yes. Probably, you know, I mean, that both of those answered some questions that I had, you know, Carrie obviously had her question, but you know, that whole mapping side of things is important. As you know, I know that you used to do some walleye tournament fishing and so on and so forth. Um, and I'm sure you spend some time in a boat still today, but you know, mapping is still a really large part to the whole fishing success in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's just like the maps, the better they get, the the better we can become as anglers. And, and also it helps break down that time that it takes to just find fish. And, you know, especially when you're tournament fishing, I know, you know, it's like a lot of times you'll go to a lake that, yeah, maybe you fished a tournament there a couple of years ago or something like that, but you're not there all the time and the patterns change. So two years ago, we might've been catching them shallow in the weeds. This year we seem to be catching them, you know, a little bit deeper pitching crankbaits or something like that. And a lot of times if you can just find those places on the map and replicate that until you find a few spots, it just speeds up your pre-fishing and your ability to stay on fish so much better. So having good quality maps, in my opinion, is just as important as it is to have good sonar. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that completely. And like Carrie said and mentioned that, uh, you know, sometimes you find those little sweet spots. Maybe it's a hump that's never been mapped before, you know. So by being able to do that, and you call that quick draw? Yeah, it's called quick draw contours. I got a question. You talked about the Garmin Navionics Plus and it goes through the active captain. Now, I know a little bit about this only because I've had to help Brad figure out, you know, updating any graph to its most highest level software is always a challenge. I know he kind of raves about the Garmin one because it always works and it's easy. You were talking about maps and being able to download the maps and or buy the maps or didn't get the updated maps. That's all through the Active Captain. Do you want to maybe explain Active Captain a little bit? Yeah. So Active Captain is actually this really cool app that we that we have now, and so it kind of helps pair your smartphone with your chart plotter, and so it, it actually can do a lot of things. And one cool thing is, is the ability to scout. So like when we go to a tournament and we have a team of guys, or even if I'm just going to go fishing by myself. The, the great part about it is all of the maps that are on your chart plotter are also on your cell phone, just like the Navy Onyx app has been in the past. You know, you've got all those maps right there. So if I'm sitting back at the resort, sitting on the couch, I can actually look at the map on my phone, pick out some spots, label them, and save them as waypoints on my phone. And then when I get into the boat the next morning, those waypoints will populate onto my chart plotter. And so I can kind of do some pre-scouting and stuff without having to sit in the boat to kind of do all that and add all those waypoints and whatnot. And also at the end of the day, I can kind of go through while I'm sitting inside and delete waypoints. Okay. That spot didn't work out. That actually wasn't a rock pile. That was a big clump of weeds, you know, whatever it was and, and kind of work through your waypoints that way. So that's one cool feature of it. The second thing is, is like you said, is software updates. And so you're able to do all of your software updates right from the cell phone now, which is great. Cause it's, it's, you know, just, it's one less step you have to do. Now, some guys still like to use the SD card. Sometimes I still prefer to use an SD card because I'm working on a lot of different people's units, you know, so you still have that option, but you can do software updates from it. If we are in the truck and we're heading up to Canada, we're going to go fish, you know, Laxul or something like that. And we get there or we're on our way and we think, ah, oh, crap, we forgot our Canada chip right there on your cell phone. You can buy the Canada chip, download it, and it's on your chart plotter. So it kind of eliminates a lot of that stuff and helps tie everything together. And then the other thing, so you can tie your cell phone into it for smart notifications through this app. Now, a lot of people hate this because they're like, I don't answer my phone when I'm fishing and that kind of stuff. But as a business owner or like myself, or I'm always working and always on the phone, 
it's nice to be able to at least see who's calling while I'm fishing without having to reach out, reach into the glove box, grab my phone every single time. You can kind of just see it right there on the screen. So that's one feature that I appreciate, especially for ice fishing when it's cold. You know, you're not taking your phone out all the time. So much like Carrie said, I had to update my Garmin Panoptics as soon as I got it, and I had to use the, the Active Captain. And I, if Brad remembers right, I was using Hummingbirds, whatever. I don't remember how they how they they have a software update as well. I think it might be through an app as well. But Brad, how many how much swearing did I do when I was trying to do that versus what I was trying to do when I did the Garmin? <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go there, Jeff. I mean, this is family oriented here. But, uh, <laughs> well, we don't have to talk about what I said. <laughs> no, the funny part is, is I think uh, everybody has that same issue, unfortunately, you know. And I will say that I've done a couple different updates now with my live scope unit, and it is truly remarkable how quick and how easy. Yeah, I will say I have never had to help Brad with the Garmin units at all. Well, I'm just curious, like, how many people are out there, how many anglers are out there where their their units aren't up to date just because it's such a pain to update them? Yeah, yeah I, I get that all the, all the time, you know, and it's like, it, it's funny because I think in the past, you know, and especially maybe with other brands, there was kind of that struggle with software updates. And, if it, and also back in the day, if you didn't, like, step your software updates, like, say you were on three and you needed to get to six, you had to do all the ones in between to get there. You know, and, and nowadays, especially the Garmin, it's just not like that. The, the software updates are, are easy, like you said, and, you know, they make sense. And, and you don't have to worry, like, if it's going to break something. And it is good to do software updates. Like, if you call customer support, the first thing they're going to ask you is, are you up to date on software? Because what it's doing is it's fixing bugs or it's adding features. It's, it's always a good thing to do. So it's, it's definitely something to take a look at. I tell people... If you at least try to do it once a year. So every spring around the Northwest Sports Show, if you just think, okay, I'm going to get my unit out, do the software update now, you're good to go until the next year. You know, even if there's another one that comes out halfway through, you're usually good if you just kind of keep them up to date once a year. Awesome, awesome. So let's kind of switch gears. Let's talk regular sonar, side imaging, and uh, then we'll shift into the live. One thing with, with the Garmin stuff is, you know, I think, Obviously, our, our live sonar is very popular, and I feel like it's what gets all the attention in the media because it is. It's showy, and it's cool, and, and it's amazing stuff. But one thing that I think is gets overlooked a little bit is the 2D sonar. And so, you know, it's something we've used for years. We all, we all know what we're looking for. But one thing Garmin does a great job of is 2D sonar. And we kind of, like... You know, chirp was a big buzzword that was out there when I kind of first got into the marine industry about six, seven years ago. And, you know, Garmin has always done real chirp where we're, we're literally hitting every single frequency in that band. We're not just hitting like a low, medium, high, calling it chirp and then putting out that picture. We're, we're, we're putting out real chirp. We sweep the entire band and it gives you really nice, clear, crisp sonar images on 2D you know, to the point where you're picking apart the type of bottom, the type of weeds, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, having 2D sonar still has a big place in it. And then, of course, you pair it with the other stuff, the crystal stuff, like down imaging and side imaging. And, I mean, when it comes to really all the fishing that we do up here, being able to have good down imaging where you're looking and you're saying, okay, that is cabbage. That's not coontail. And you're able to see that on your down imaging. I mean, the amount of time that saves you when finding spots or picking out little areas to fish is tremendous, you know? And I think, especially in the musky world, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, you just, you would troll and you would troll and, you know, you just try to cover water and, and, and you always fished, you know, shallow or something like that if you're going to cast, but, you know, having sonar and being able to see where these fish live and the habitats that they're in and picking it apart has just changed the way we fish, I think. And it also, maybe you spend a little bit more time looking at electronics because you have that good 2D and that good down imaging, but you're finding those spots that have higher percentages, you know, than what we used to in the old days when we just had a fish finder showing us fish symbols, you know. One other thing that we came out with this year, and, and this, this has been a really big deal for us, is our side imaging. So it's no secret there's a brand out there that has amazing side imaging. They've done a great job with it. Um, you see lots of great marketing images and that kind of stuff. I feel like we've always done a decent job of it. But this past year, we came out with what was called the GT56 and the 36. 
And so that's our side imaging transducer. It runs on a higher frequency. We tilted the crystals a little bit differently. And the amount of clarity and range that we're getting out of this transducer for side imaging is incredible. So being able to pick out those big fish laying in the sand off to the sides or looking for those few rock piles, you know, and, and, and weeds and different things like that. This new GT56 has been awesome for side imaging. I think that'll be something that the musky world will really like to hear about, you know, the frequency changes and uh, what that maybe brings to the table as far as images. And I know everybody's always really anxious to see that, you know, the fins, the tail, really truly identify what kind of species it is. It doesn't always work that way. All the things have to kind of line up to make those really crystal clear images. And um, maybe you could kind of explain in detail a little bit about that potentially, Danny. Yeah, for sure. So this this is like 100% of the time when I get a customer that comes to me and it doesn't matter what brand they have, they say, hey, I've got this fancy side imaging unit and I don't know what I'm looking at or I can't see anything on it. And a lot of times they've got a seven inch screen, maybe a nine inch screen, and they're trying to look 250 feet to the right and 250 feet to the left. And the problem is, if, especially if you're in a little bit deeper of water, I mean, your scale is so small. So even a muskie that could be a four footer laying on the bottom, I mean, your scale, if, if, you know, half of seven inches is 250 feet is nothing. And so a lot of times it's just, it's just user learning how to use it and understanding that like, okay, I need to suck it in a little bit. I might only look 75 feet out one side or even 45 feet out to the sides and understanding what on the screen, what you're looking at, you know, you've got your water column. And a lot of times I do the folded piece of paper trick and that really helps people kind of understand it. But knowing, you know, what you're looking at and, and buying a screen, you know, I really think you need to look at a nine inch minimum screen if you want something great for side imaging, because you're just looking at such a small scale otherwise. And a lot of times on side imaging, these pictures that you see, like you were saying, they're, they're marketing images. They're, from you know down in florida and in the keys and you're looking at a tarpon in you know 10 15 feet of water that's really close to the boat and hit the crystal perfectly broadside so you get a good picture of it and it's like that's not always exactly what you see in real life so kind of understanding what to look for and there's a lot of great videos out there but the biggest thing you can do is get in the boat you know, put it, put, you know, throw a rod out and troll if you have to, but just look at side imaging for a while and just, okay, I know I'm going over a patch of weeds. Okay. That's what they look like. You know, there's some rocks. That's what they look like. Oh my gosh. I can see a walleye in those rocks or I can see some bait, you know, above those rocks, stuff like that. And it'll really kind of start to catch with you, but it really just takes some time operating it to, to understand what you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. There's a learning curve, that's for sure. And like you said, there's a bunch of good videos out there. But I think some of the issues, too, potentially are how they have their transducer mounted as well. And I, we could go into that at a different time. It's definitely something you want to consider when you're starting to hook up your units. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm the sales guy, right? So you got to take it with a grain of salt. But it's like, if you are not very comfortable in rigging your boat, I mean, I'm at the boat shows, you know, looking at new boats this year. And I mean, you're talking over a hundred thousand dollars for a new glass 20 foot boat. If you're going to spend that much money, you may as well have someone rig the transducers that knows where to put them, where they've put them in the last 20 boats that they've rigged and has an understanding of it. Cause why not have everything mounted correctly? If you're going to spend that much money on a nice boat, and nice electronics. I mean, you might as well get it done correctly. So I get people all the time where well, I'm just going to do that myself. And then their motors blocking their side imaging transducer, or they put their 2d transducer to the side of their side imaging one and lower, and they have a blind spot. And it's like, you know, rigging it is really the biggest, biggest part of the battle, you know, over anything else, really just so you get those clear images. 100% agree with that. So how long has Garmin been in the Marine world? So the cool thing with Garmin is they have been doing the marine stuff for a long time. They're obviously, their their big market is in Florida. I was just down in the Florida Keys last week and, you know, you go to the restaurants down there and they got the boats on the racks and it's just like every boat has Garmin in it. They do, they, they've just created such a good following. 
And the thing you got to remember about Garmin is Garmin is a giant multi-billion dollar engineering company. So we got aviation, we got automotive, we got fitness, we got outdoor, we got bow sites that have range finders built into them. They can walk you right to your arrow where it should be laying. I mean, all this crazy technology. And so we've got such good engineering behind this stuff. And so the the ability for Garmin to kind of be changing the market constantly and revolutionizing the market has been huge. And we started that in the offshore world and it's starting to trickle obviously into the inland stuff now, but they've been doing it for a long time. They are good at just kind of growing things as they are. We might not be the best marketing company out there bringing about our stuff, but you know, the word of mouth and just the quality of our products and that kind of stuff really kind of speaks for itself. Absolutely. I, I'm aware of some of the other products that you that you have branded out there for the hunting world. Um, I am using a Garmin site. It's incredible. I've never tuned a bow in as quick as I did with that particular site, all the way out to 70 yards with my pins just bang, bang, bang. And I think I was set up in like 15 minutes, which is totally incredible. Yep. Let's start to switch gears here and let's go talk about the live imaging side. You know, it was shortly after I started with Garmin. So about six, seven years ago, we started looking at some of this live technology and then there's a bunch of different stuff to it. So it's stuff that's been around for a long time. In fact, I think the Navy used some of this technology for tracking whales and different things with submarines and whatnot. And so I think Garmin, you know, started working on some version of it that could be used for the fishing market. And so the original stuff would have been what was called panoptics. And so panoptics was live time, but it was more of a multi-phase array. So it's almost like a radar type of image. If you can think of that, where you got more of the blobs and that kind of stuff. And so you'd get a live image, but the target separation isn't what it is with like live scope, for example. But, you know, back then it was incredible stuff. And it was, you know, as everything in the fishing world and musky guys and walleye guys and crappie guys, we all feel this. Everything is originally designed for a bass fisherman. And so when this first came out, it was like designed to be mounted to a trolling motor, well, a cable style trolling motor and that kind of stuff. And so the transducers were big, but they were live and you could see stuff in in real time. You could throw a jerk bait out there, bring it back in and you could watch it. And it was good stuff. You know, it worked, you could see the fish, you could see your baits. But the problem is it was like almost so far advanced back then that I remember going to shows with it and people kind of looking at me like, "Eh, I don't know about that. Like you're crazy. There's, there's no way that works, you know? And we just kind of kept building on it and coming out with, you know, then we had a transom mount option and then we had some other options, just kind of building on that panoptic stuff. And then you know, with myself, I'm from Minnesota, living in Minnesota here. And I was kind of thinking, well, boy, this live stuff is pretty cool. I wonder if we could use this for ice fishing. And so I actually took one of the transducers, I mounted it to a hockey stick and I grabbed a car battery with a milk crate and put all this stuff together. I brought it out to Mille Lacs Lake and watched a buddy of mine catch a walleye about 55 feet away from me. And I was like, okay, we have to do something with this for ice fishing. And so we, you know, I paired with an engineer and we got some stuff going and, you know, now we kind of broke into the ice fishing market. I mean, if you're an ice guy at all, you obviously know about the ice fishing bundles. And I think it was really that transition when we started getting into the ice business that the people up here, the musky guys, the crappy guys, everybody started paying more attention to it. It seemed like, and really kind of utilizing it for all season, you know, like it's like it's meant to do. And it's just kind of grown from there. Yeah, that's incredible that you bring that up because that's kind of how Carrie and I got started with this whole live scope side of things. I guess we jumped right into the live scope side, but last winter, uh, with no shows last winter, we actually had some time to go ice fishing. So we uh, we went and well, first of all, a buddy of mine from Wisconsin came up to do some fishing. And he had his live scope unit with, and I, it took me about five minutes and I went, yeah, we need one of these. And so I think two days later we had one sitting here in our shop. And you're off those two days. <laughs> but it is an incredible, incredible tool for the ice fishing side. And once I sit in the ice fishing side, then my brain started wandering, right? Now I'm going to put it in a boat and I'm going to start playing with it there as well. And so I've been doing that. I'm kind of curious, what was the very first 
uh, live imaging uh, transducer that you came out with? Are you talking about the PS31s or was it something different? No, it would have been the, like the PS31, the PS30, some of that stuff. The 31 is pretty much gone um, in, by now. There's there's very few people that use it. It might, it might be something like real specific. Some guys will use it, um, but they, they've pretty much gone you know away now. So that would have been the first one. The 30, which is a transom mount one, actually is still very popular today. Pretty much every one of my walleye pros still run it um, because it covers such a wide swath of the back of the boat. So if you can imagine you know, rigging creek chubs or leeches and that kind of stuff, or using downriggers at all. It's awesome for that because you just can't do, you can't replicate that kind of a beam with live scope at this point. So the 30 still has has a good place. And then I actually talk about it all the time. So we have what's called the PS22, which would have been the sort of second generation of the PS31. I actually got a hunting shack up in, it's by Ottertail County area, and there's a lot of great fishing up that way. I go up there crappie fishing and I almost exclusively use a PS22 still because the cool thing about that pan optics technology, the original phase array stuff is you can see so far. And if you imagine when you're crappie fishing, those fish are up high. Target separation isn't important. I'm just trying to find the school of fish, get on top of that school. And then I'll use my flasher or something like that to catch them anyways. I've seen schools of crappies 240 feet away with a PS22. Where with my live scope, I mean, I might only be able to see 70 feet. The distance that you can get with that stuff, it still has its place, but all the videos and all the media and all the hype is obviously around live scope right now. Yeah, that that brings a question to my mind. So the PS30 and the reason I've been looking at some of this technology and the reason I am is the transom mount for a PS30. Um, I've talked to a walleye guide, well, guide as well as tournament angler. And I know that he's using that. And he told me straight out, he goes, I'm not even using my side imaging at all anymore. He said, very seldom do I turn it back on. He said that he's using the PS30. So I'm curious. Um, I know there's a couple different views for that. And there's a historical view. Can you rate it between side imaging and the PS30, which one you would prefer to run? Yeah, for sure. And I have a perfect example of this in the walleye world for me. So I was actually fishing a tournament on Leech Lake one year and this was in the PS30 was kind of just coming out. And so we had a a real strong wind blowing in on kind of a a sand flat, so to speak. And the walleyes would come up there and they would kind of chow on those crayfish when this would happen. And so we got up there, we had the PS30 on. So I'm trying to think it was, I, I have some awesome screenshots of this, but it was like, 20 feet of water, maybe 22 feet of water. So that 100 degree cone angle, I'm getting some pretty good distance to the right. I'm getting good distance to the left from this transducer. So I'm maybe looking, let's just say 40 feet to the right, 40 feet to the left, just like you would be with side imaging, but it's live. Okay. And so as we would go, we'd go over top of these walleyes and you would see them shoot down into the left or down into the right or straight down because even in 20 feet of water, these fish are spooking from your boat and they're not going far, but they're spooking just enough where they drop down and they go one side or the other. We'd literally take our rods, move our baits. So they would be, you know, if it was way off to the right, we'd be holding our arms way out the side of the boat, you know, trying to catch these fish and bam, we had 28 pounds by I think like eight o'clock that morning and ended up, you know, taking a top five in that tournament, cashing a check. And it was literally because of, of the pan optics. Cause if you looked at your 2d, or you're down imaging, and I have a screenshot with all three of them, you can see a great big walleye up high, say like, you know, four or five feet off the bottom. Perfect. Looks like he's going to eat. There he is on down imaging, the exact same thing. But if you look at pan optics, you can see him shooting down into the right. And it's like, it just made sense. And I think that's something that this live sonar in general does is it just teaches us like, sure, it might help me catch more fish, but what I've learned about fish and their movement and their habits and then like the migrations that they take every morning and night. It's incredible what live sonar can teach you. That's super, super intriguing. I'd love to see that screenshot, Danny, if you got time and you could shoot me a text, that'd be awesome. One of the things that, uh, that I've always considered, you know, I think as an angler, say you're trolling in a trolling atmosphere, 
we think that these fish kind of move off to the right or to the left. But one thing that we don't always consider is that they're potentially going down or up to the surface or whatever. They, there's more than one place to swim to, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And I think a lot of times uh, we miss some of those fish. Are you running it with the historical on there or are you just running it live continuous and, and that's what you're watching on the screen? I literally just watch it in live. And the reason I watch it in live is because I'm staring at the screen. I guess, you know, where like if I have a 12 inch screen or something like that, maybe I'll split screen it with some 2Ds if I do want that historical data. But I traditionally have always just ran it live. So that brings up another question in my mind. One of the issues that I would say as a muskie angler that I've had is that live aspect in the sense that all you got to do, you're sitting there staring at your screen. How much fishing are you getting done when you're staring at a screen? How do you combat that? And maybe there's some solutions or ideas that you have there. Yeah, for sure. In, in that situation, that's where you're going to turn on your, you know, your, your history or you're going to run it in combination with something else. And then it has a scroll history. So like, if you're running a PS30, you can do it where, you know, you have a big portion of it is live and then you have a little section where it scrolls the history. Um, I, I do this all the time, you know, like if I'm ice fishing and say I'm even jigging, I like to jig in like 2D sonar where you have some of it live and then it scrolls that history. And it's just nice to see like that history of how that fish reacted and that kind of stuff. So using those options, you know, and they're easy to do. It's just, it's just a right in the menu or whatever. So it's just an easy option to do. And especially musky fish, like you said, if you're casting and you're watching for a fish breaking surface or you're watching for something, um, a lot of times it's nice to have that history to kind of look at too. Yeah, absolutely. That's intriguing in the sense that uh, that's been my, my biggest battle with the whole idea of live is that I don't want to get stuck just staring at a screen. So you answered my question there. That's for sure. The other cool thing with that 32 is like, you know, I, I fished one time actually on a lake it was in Minnesota and we had a lot of fish that would, they, they'd kind of come to the bait. We're slow rolling bladed baits. And so they'd kind of follow to the boat and then they'd kind of just like slowly go off to the side. And it was like, a lot of times they'd still sit there and it's like, it, it, with that PS30 of such a big cone back there. And a lot of times we'd be fishing from the back of the boat and it's like, you'd almost not give up on your figure eight too soon because you know, they were sitting there and those fish eventually would come back. So having that huge coverage zone like that is kind of interesting. And I would say it's maybe helps you catch a few more fish once in a while because of that too, because you're, you're seeing where they're going. They're not always just kind of going off and going back to the bottom. It's like sometimes they're just a little hesitant or something like that, you know? Yeah, that's uh, definitely something to consider as well. I think uh, a lot of times we can't visually see the fish. Um, if you could see it on a screen, you definitely would change some of your fishing habits. All right, Danny, we've talked a lot about the technology, but one thing we haven't talked about is the units themselves. Let's go with like a good beginner option. If somebody, because, you know, Brad and I have talked about it, there's a lot of different things you guys offer. And sometimes it may be overwhelming to, you know, your average angler. Where should they get started? Yeah, so it, there there is a lot of options. And we have a lot of different screen sizes and map options and different things. But, you know, for my guys up here in the upper Midwest or really anywhere in, in kind of the United States here, let's say really the, the thing that I tell you is if you want to get into this live sonar, you want to have side imaging, you really need to start at at least that echo map 93. It's a nine inch screen. It's touch screen. It's going to be enough screen where when you're looking at live scope, you're going to be able to see everything that you want to see. Um, when you're doing some side imaging with it, you're going to be able to see everything. And then also, you know, when you're doing mapping with sonar or sonar with, you know, down imaging, that kind of stuff, it's really where you need to start. It ha it's going to have all the maps built into it. So it doesn't matter what state you go to or any of that kind of stuff. It's all built in. And then, of course, you know, it's awesome. So if you fish Lake of the Woods, for example, it's got the U.S. and the Canada map both on there because it's a border water. So the 93 is kind of where I start um, if you're looking for the, the most affordable way to get into it. Obviously, beyond that, it's just if you want a bigger screen. So when you move into the 10-inch echo map or the 12-inch echo maps, you're, you're getting a bigger screen. You're getting a second network port, which is nice because a lot of times if you're putting a 10 or a 12-inch unit in your boat, you're probably putting a few of them in there and you want to be able to network all those together. So, so that's kind of a cool option. But 
really starting with that nine inch is a good option. Now, of course, one cool thing, you know, with us being here in the Midwest too, is a lot of guys will buy the ice fishing bundle. So you can get the live scope, you get everything you need in that ice fishing bundle. So you can use it for ice fishing. And then the summertime, these echo maps have a quick release bracket where the the head unit actually just pops right out of the bale and all the wires and all that stay connected to that bale. You're able to take that head unit and put it into a new bale and, and power cable and whatnot in your boat. So we make it really easy for you to switch from season to season, which is kind of cool. You know, that ice bundle works good for that, but any of those echo maps in that nine, the 10 or the 12. Now the way Garmin works is the first number, the nine represents the screen size or, and then the second number is going to represent mapping. So if you look at our 10 and our 12 inch units, you're going to have a 106, so it's going to be a 10-inch screen, 10, and then the 6 is going to re- represent the mapping. On those units, you actually get mapping for the whole United States inland lakes, and you get the oceans. So if you're a guy like me that likes to go down to the Keys and fish, you're going to have all the mapping for all the Keys on it as well. So that's the same for the 10 and the 12-inch unit. But really, those are the kind of three main units that you're going to be looking at if you want to get into this. And if you're looking to get in, you know, because obviously this stuff is, it's not the cheapest of technology. We all know that it's, it's that way across the board. It's not garment specific. If you're looking right yep. now, you want to have side imaging, but you want to add the uh, panoptic stuff later on. Is that an option or do you have to buy everything all at one time? No. So the, the biggest thing is, is like I said, if you start with that nine inch, at least you're going to be able to add um, live scope and pan optics to it. The big thing is, is live scope takes um, a network port. So if you just make sure you get a unit that is networkable, you'll be able to run live scope and all that stuff in the future. That's kind of the easiest way to know if your unit's going to be capable of it in the future. I have a question that goes back to the quick draw contours. I don't, yep. I don't know how well, or if you know of Brad at all, but Brad is a, man of many boats and he likes to use them all if he if we do the quick draw contours can you switch that card like say he's running one boat and the next day he's running the next boat can you pull that card and the contours and everything go with into the next unit yes exactly can do that and so we've done this you know how you when you fish tournaments sometimes you'll you'll have a team of guys so we had like our, our four different boats that we had and we'd go fish the Mississippi river and we'd have some backwater stuff we'd be fishing. And so we'd, you know, during pre-fishing, if it was a spot that I fished, I'd end up sharing that information with other guys, you know, so they'd have a map. As long as you have an SD card and, and you save that information, you can move it from unit to unit. Can it be stored in a unit then? It can't be stored in the unit. It can only be stored on, on that card. Okay. Yeah. Brad, she talks about you being a man of many boats like that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to minimize a little bit of my <laughs> let, let me ask you this, Danny. Can you copy from card to card? Yes. So, like, you'd have to have a computer, obviously, or a unit with two SD card slots, if that makes sense, um, where you transfer, like, a data transfer from one card to the other. But if you have a computer, you could go and put that card in your computer, take that file, and then move it over to another card. You can have all boats with the same card in it, but only build the card with off of one card. Yep, exactly. All right, back to head units. I think we satisfied <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's multiple different head units, too. I mean, I'd just like to go in a little bit more in depth. I, I know you said the 106 and the 93. I'm curious, are, are those like generally the ones that most freshwater guys are going to choose to use? Echo Map Ultras or? Yeah. So when, when you look at Garmin, there's essentially three lines of units. You got your striker unit. That's going to be kind of what I'll call my budget or, or, you know, fish finder units. That's the stuff where, you know, anywhere from a hundred bucks to like 500 bucks, it's a fish finder. Um, but it's not going to be touchscreen or live scope capable or any of that stuff. Then we move into the Echo Map series. That's really my bread and butter in the inland fishing world and the and the stuff that I do. The stuff we're putting on, you know, walleye boats, musky boats, bass boats, that kind of stuff. They go anywhere from a four inch screen to a twelve inch screen. From the seven and up, they're touchscreen with some buttons, quick release brackets. They're really kind of designed for us as the fishermen. And then of course we have the GPS Map series. Now that's going to be our premium of the premium stuff, but it's really 
more aimed at the offshore guy. They're only touchscreen. They've got a, uh, a, the ability to be flat mounted into like a nice center console boat and that kind of stuff. They're going to have a lot more hookups on them. So like a, a lot of guys with ice castles or I'm going to a snow bear thing this weekend, they'll run GPS maps because they have an HDMI out port on the back so that we can run it into a TV. So GPS map line is going to have a lot more features kind of with it that a lot of the inland guys, we just don't need. We want mapping. We want all the sonar features. We want it to do live scope. We want it to network, maybe take a heading sensor autopilot, but nothing really beyond that. Makes perfect sense. All right. So Danny, I know obviously supply chain issues are an issue everywhere. Let's talk about your units. Are you guys having the same problems that I'd say 90% of America is having? The cool part with Garmin and, and kind of like I was talking before is we're a huge company, multi-billion dollar company. So our buying power is really significant. We're not just a few hundred million dollar marine electronics company. We're, we're a big company. You know, we, we were able to prepare for this. And have we had some issues where we had a unit down for a couple of weeks and that stuff? For sure. There's going to be stuff, you know, the world is what it is right now. There's going to be some stuff that we can't foresee. But if you walk into any of the retailers right now and you talk to them, they're going to tell you Garmin's, you know, doing the best job at shipping and getting customers product and, and keeping stuff in stock. And so I think we've done a really good job of it. I'm not going to tell you that we're not going to see problems because I'm a sales guy and I've lived through these COVID years. And I, I understand that there's, there's going to be maybe some hiccups here and there. But, you know, for the most part, we're very well in stock. LiveScope itself has never that I know of carried a back order other than when it was first announced three years ago. So we've done great with live scopes. Head units have been very good for the most part, other than some of the bigger offshore stuff, some of the 16 and 20 inch type stuff. But we, we've done a really good job of it. Um, transducers are in stock. So if you're, if you're looking to get your boat rigged, I mean, you know, Garmin definitely has some product and, and our, our retailers have the product to get it to you. Obviously that's great news. Yeah, for sure. Danny, I have a quick networking question. I've seen when Garmin networks two units together, what happens if one unit goes down? Do they both go down or does one, will one work and, and the other one won't? I've seen people working on them in my driveway with networking issues where one unit goes down and everything goes down. Is that the same way for Garmin or... Well, that, and, and I think all brands, at least to be fair here too, that's a really, can be a really tricky question in a sense, because it's hard to diagnose stuff without seeing it. But for the most part, if one unit goes down, no, the other unit's not going to go down. Now, if it's down in the sense that it's still on and it's doing some wonky, you may have to like unplug it type of thing. So it's not, you know, networked to that weird unit or something like that. I've, I've had that a couple of times, but as far as like, you know, one unit going down, it's not going to, you know, hurt the rest of the system, so to speak at all. You, you should be totally fine there. So this is probably the million dollar question. This is what probably everybody's still hanging on to, uh, to learn more about, but let's talk live scope and give us kind of your insight on that first, Danny, and I'm sure we'll shoot some questions at you. I mean, obviously for me, I've, you know, I've been around since the beginning. And so I've seen the pan optics, and the live sonar, and we were thinking to ourselves, like, how, how is it going to get better than this? You know, seeing stuff in live time. And then, you know, they came out with live scope. And it, it just really, I mean, there's been stuff in the fishing industry, like side imaging and whatnot. But I think this live technology goes beyond Garmin. And it is going to be one of those things that goes down in sort of fishing history as a turning point in fishing that really sort of revolutionized the way we fish, the way we look at fish and all that kind of stuff. And, and the reason is just the absolute detail and, and information that you get out of it. So live scope, for those of you that don't know, is compared to the panoptics. We actually took more of a, you can imagine like a down imaging image where you got like that, you were using like a crystal instead of a multi-phase array to get the image. And we're using three of them and we're stitching it together to create this really wide angle that's a nice clear picture and it's live time. So if you imagine we're on a lake and a muskie comes swimming underneath us and under our live scope transducer, you will see that muskie. There's a chance you can see its tail paddling. You can measure how long it is because live scope is true to scale. You can tell exactly how many feet 
It is off of the bottom of the lake, just really everything. And, you know, it just, it kind of really was one of those technologies that came around that I I really do think is going to go down as one of those things that was a turning point in the fishing industry. It's incredibly clear. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you, you just jump on YouTube and there's a million videos and pictures of it out there. But you know, what it, what it has done for us in the fishing world is going to be pretty incredible, that's for sure. Well, I think it already has, Danny. It's been out there three years, I'm guessing, in the freshwater world. Pretty much everybody that does any kind of fishing probably is aware of, of the uh, technology at this point. Yeah, for sure. And and the cool part is, is like, it's expensive, but, you know, we, we've got it. So you can get into LiveScope with a seven-inch screen. You know, and I think anybody in Minnesota nowadays is at least running a seven or a nine inch unit. And so we've we've sort of made it affordable to be able to get into it as well. You know, affordable in quotations, I guess, but really, really is fairly affordable in the the scheme of things. And and it's available to everybody and able to get it out there. And and the cool part is, is I get a lot of time. I work a lot of sports shows and I talk to a lot of customers. And of course, the techie young, young guys are into this. But I've got um, older guys, guys like my dad's age that, you know, buy this stuff and, and it's it's easy to use. And that's kind of the cool part about the live stuff is people, well, am I going to be able to understand it? Well, yeah, because you're seeing exactly what, what you would expect to see. In a lot of ways, it's easier to understand than down imaging or side imaging. I mean, side imaging, you, you got to imagine you, you've got a water column, you've got the side, you know, out to the side and even that sort of a cone and not perfectly perfect angles where live scope i mean it's live you see your jig going down you see the fish swimming towards it it's very easy to understand very easy to use i mean if you if you put it on your boat right out of the box the stock settings on it even are very good and so i think it's just kind of open opened it up to really being an option for anybody you know yeah absolutely like i said earlier in the podcast um once i seen it on the ice last winter it was a done deal. I had to get it. So we, we purchased our first unit and it's just so remarkable. I mean, you talk ice fishing, which I mean, think about it. Now you've got a unit that you're going back and forth from winter to summer. So money wise, I mean, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Second of all, I, I would encourage the nine inch screen for sure at minimum. That That's me, Danny. But I, I honestly, I've even thought about upgrading my screen again from the nine inch on my winter unit. Now, I got a quick question that kind of backs us up a little bit here. You were talking about how the ultras have the quick disconnect and you can pull that head unit off and go to a different one. Do those all link up? So if I have a nine inch screen today, will a 10 inch or a 12 inch fit on that same housing, if you will? So each unit is gonna have its own bail mount, so to speak. So a nine has a different one than a 10. And technically, a 10 is a different one than a 12. So so you need to buy a quick mount for each unit, essentially. You know, the the, the cool part of it is, is is exactly what you're saying. So I've actually, I can sell the wives on this technology a lot because, you know, think of how much it's going to cost you to get a really good ice fishing unit nowadays. Well, six, seven hundred bucks. How much is it going to cost you to get a really good summer unit? Well, thousand bucks. You might as well have the best of both worlds and live scope and be able to use it year round, you know? And so that quick mount, you know, even if you do have to buy that $55 mount for each unit, it just, it bridges that gap and it almost saves you money in the long run. All right. Well, let's dive back into the whole live scope side, you know? So now I transferred it off the ice this past year and I started using it in the trolling application where I could watch different baits, you know, as we're trolling long. That's how I pretty much have used it um, exclusively. I know there's guys out yep. there that are using it for jigging. There's guys that are using it to watch their baits come in when they're casting. Just truly, truly remarkable watching what those fish did, you know. As they'd come up and approach a bait, what we were able to do was, you know, snap that line and a lot of times get them to react to that bait. I know uh, we just started a new TV show, Mayhem's 10,000 Cast, and uh, the last episode that we're going to do this year is Fall Trolling. you can pretty much see what we're doing there. And it it was remarkable. It truly, truly was. What are some of the other applications um, that you're seeing other muskie anglers or even bass and walleye anglers that could tie it all together? Yeah, for sure. So one thing I think, at least in the muskie world that I've seen, 
and maybe this is more of a guide thing, but um, I've got a good friend of mine that guides up in the Bemidji area, and he's like, I he he has multiple live scopes in the boat, and part of it is is like just getting the clients to be able to see fish. But I think jigging for muskies has got to be one of those things that live scope has just propelled even more. And I know like you guys have been talking about jigging for muskies for a while, but now with being able to watch them on that down with live scope and then, you know, just, I think it helps the client of these guided people to be able to see what's going on and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that's one thing that live scope has done for the muskie world is really helped with that jigging for muskies. And, and, speeding up the process you know you're not just jigging and jigging hoping there's something down there you're jigging and if there's nothing down there you're going to move and go to the next spot because you're going to have a milk trail of waypoints that you're hitting anyway so i've heard a lot of it for that and then the shallow stuff when, when the fish do get shallow you know live scope has a few different modes and so we've got the down mode where we got a real wide cone angle when we're looking at like jigging and that kind of stuff we've got our forward or kind of that search mode where you know, we're making casts or we're looking to see if there's fish up on, you know, this little bit of a break line and that kind of stuff. But then there's perspective mode. And so that's where we have a really narrow cone angle up and down because it's meant for shallow water, but it almost gives you like that bird's eye 360 view. And so now being able to fish in shallow water in the weeds and see those big muskies coming through the weeds. I mean, it's really kind of opened up some new types of fishing because of that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I think uh, I have not personally played with perspective mode. I have the mount and I'm ashamed to say it's been a year and I haven't ever tried it yet. But I could potentially see that being used like you were talking about with the PS30 where, you know, you're looking off to the side of the boat as you're retrieving baits off of a weed line or whatever. You can watch those baits coming in and potentially even if you have a follow. Yeah. And and I guess I've never even thought of using it that way. You know, I did a I went with a guy, Jason Hammernick, one time, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're throwing baits, we're, we're reeling them in slow, and it's like, I think if, if I could have just known that those fish were behind, because they were lazy, and they just follow it almost all the way to the boat, and they'd almost never bite on the figure eight, and it's like, if you could have just at least knew there was a fish coming and just changed a little something and maybe try to get a little bit more of a reaction before you got it to the boat, I mean, you just up those odds, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's the number one in this whole sport, right? I mean, getting that reaction, getting them to actually adjust and make their movement. And if you can potentially see that before you can visually see it, you're only going to up your odds. Here's a question then, okay, how are we going to mount this? Um, and I know I've seen different people talk about this all the time. My daughter had a basketball game this past Saturday, a friend of ours who's a bass angler. He was telling me his live scope is mounted to his trolling motor. I personally said, well, I would think that you'd want it on a static mount of some sort versus your trolling motor so that you're not sitting there just turning the head of the trolling motor continually trying to find fish. He argued with me. He said, well, he likes it better on the trolling motor versus bending over to turn something. So what's your opinion on that? So I'm very partial to not having it on the trolling motor. And part of it is probably the way I fish. And it sounds like that's sort of how you're thinking too. Now, like I said, in the fishing industry, everything in the, in the whole industry is designed for a bass angler. And so when everything originally came out, it was meant to be mounted to a trolling motor. And it's because when you're bass fishing, you're, you're, you're kind of going where your motor is bringing you a lot of times, or maybe you're, you're thrown at, at the bank, but you're, hitting the pedal and then you can scan and look and then you're hitting the pedal and that kind of stuff. Well, for me, if I'm walleye, smallmouth, musky, crappie fishing, whatever I happen to be doing, I, I would say 98% of the time could care less what my trolling motor is looking at. And I have my trolling motor set to constant where it's pulling me upstream. It's pulling me into the wind or I'm spot locked and I want to actually be able to look off the side of the boat. So for me, hands down, without question, my live scope is mounted to a pole over the side of the boat. And yes, I want to be able to lean down and point it. Um, I did a TV show two summers ago on Mille Lacs Lake where we literally had the trolling motor. We're, we're going down the big contour lines on the mud flats. I'd take that live scope. I'd look up. I'd look down. I'd see a 24-inch walleye. I'd throw a bobber at it and catch that fish. 
and we'd move on to the next fish and, you know, did that all day long and being able to snipe and pick out individual fish because I have that pole off to the side. I mean, you cannot replicate that by having it on a trolling motor or transom mounted or anything else. And if you, you look at these walleye tournaments right now, especially the series I fish, the aim series, you're looking for five of the biggest fish. Cause it's a catch photo release. I mean, you, I'm not even going to cast at a fish unless I know it's over, you know, 25 inches. Cause I need five big ones. Why would I waste my time on a bunch of 16 inches, you know? So being able to use it and kind of snipe out and pick out individual fish, you know, you, you can't do that any other way than having it over the side of the boat. Yeah. It's truly amazing. You kind of touched on something there. You know, you said earlier that it's true to scale. So can you give the listeners a little better idea of how they identify what that size of that fish is and how you kind of put that math together in your head? Yeah, for sure. So when you're looking at the live scope screen, you're going to have the numbers on there that kind of give you your scale and your distances and that kind of stuff. So you'll see the up and down is the water column and it's going to have every foot. It's going to have a number one, two, three, four, five. So you're going to kind of see the depth, but it's also going to have that for distance. And so with LiveScope, it's such, you know, exact technology, you're able to actually measure those fish and see exactly how long they are. The big thing, you know, is being able to measure those fish right on the screen because you can actually, you know, line it up with your numbers that are kind of going across the top of the screen. There's actually even a grid overlay that you can put on the screen. So it almost makes it like Battleship where you, you can line up your little grids and whatnot, and you can actually measure those fish within those boxes and see exactly how long it is. You know, over in Wisconsin, they do a lot of sturgeon spearing and, you know, fish need to be a certain length and they're looking for a certain length. A lot of guys are using live scope to measure the fish before they even spear them. Um, so there's a lot of cool things, you know, just with that, because it is true to scale. And like I was saying, when I did that show on Mille Lacs, we were literally calling out the fish we were catching and we were accurate to within an inch of how long they were when we'd finally get them up and measure them. So are you a grid guy or not? I choose to use the grid when I'm fishing with it. Um, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on the grid. So for me, it's, I, I like the grid when I'm fishing in the summertime. In the wintertime, I don't just because in the winter you're sitting in one spot. Nothing is moving except for the fish, unless you're falling through or something, but nothing is moving. So in the summer, I like it because I'm using it for casting distances. And that kind of stuff. And like you were saying earlier, I don't want to stare at the screen all the time. So if I can look down quick and say, okay, that rock is 40 feet. And it just makes it easier for me to see that. I like the grid in the summertime. Um, I don't use it in the wintertime. If you come look at my units at a show, I don't have the grid turned on just because it looks more cluttered. Um, so I think appearance-wise, it's prettier without the grid. But actual fishability or usability, I think having the grid on, there's some benefits too, for sure. I could see that, I guess. I, I played with it both ways, ice fishing. And honestly, I don't get enough time on the ice because we're building baits instead. Um, I definitely uh, have bounced back and forth myself and just trying to get a good grip on it. But I do think in the open water, I prefer to have the grid. It definitely seems to help me kind of judge that distance. For sure. So, Danny, you know, one of the things that I've always considered, too, I, I feel like every company in this marine world, as far as electronics, they spoon feed the public. And so each time, you know, they have all this advanced technology and it's like, OK, this year we're going to do this next year. Let's let's talk about doing this. One of the things that I, I've seen, and maybe I'm wrong, and I don't know, but it seems that Garmin, you don't have to always upgrade your head units in order to keep up with the technology advances. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, the kind of the, I think the awesome part about Garmin is they do a great job of backdating our information or our units and, and making them backwards compatible. And that's something that Garmin has prided themselves on for a long time since our handheld days and newbie days and, and all that kind of stuff so you know for example when live scope came out it worked with the units that were out before it and you know say in the future if we come out with some sort of new thing it's going to work with what we currently have now unfortunately there's going to be a time every so often where there's a major operating change where you know, maybe something comes out in the future that the units right now just currently, we can't make it happen. That that sort of big change seems to happen every, you know, what, five years or something like that. But for the most part in, in the 
in the short, you know, future. It seems like we always do a good job of being able to backdate and at least get you the majority of everything um, that that unit can do. So I think we do a good job of that, probably the best job in the marine industry anyways. But, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of like your iPhone. It's like if you buy the latest one this month, next next month there is something coming out that's going to be even better. But that's what kind of drives drives the industry and drives technology anyways, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that's something that I guess is pleasing to hear what you just shared, because, you know, as the technology advances, I mean, you think about how many dollars that uh, the normal angler spends, when do they readjust? And I mean, you answered that perfectly, I, I feel. Yeah. So Danny, I got a new unit. I'm pulling it out of the box. What are a couple things that you can offer up to help me maximize my potential out of that unit? So the cool thing with Garmin is a lot of times, the stock settings are good. And if you, let's, let's just talk about the ice bundle, for example, you, you pull it out of the box, you snap the head unit in place, you mount your transducer, you go fishing. It's going to work really dang good stock out of the box. But people say, well, if it's, you know, Danny, it's your unit, you're going to set it up how you want it. What are you going to do? And then, so there's a few things I like to do. One is called color gain. So that, that's one option under the live scope menu. I like to turn that color gain real high. What that does is it makes our images and our targets real bright and stick out. So we're able to see them real well. I'll turn that high. And then that allows me to be able to run the gain lower. And, and so the benefit of that is when you have more range with your gain, you, you have the ability to kind of, you know, see things more clear and less clear and bring some stuff in. So that's kind of one of the big tricks that I like to do. The other thing is there's some interference options on there. Now, really in the summertime, you shouldn't be worrying about interference because the only thing you should get interference from is other live scope. So unless it's a spot on the spot tournament where you're fishing next to everybody else with live scope, you shouldn't have to worry about it. But when you turn those interferences on, you're filtering stuff out. And the more you filter stuff out, the less you're going to see. So a lot of times I like to try to keep those interferences on low. My timed variable gain, the TVG, I try to keep that on low. And if you think about it, sometimes having a little clutter on the screen and being able to see some of that stuff, that's okay. It might not be the most beautiful image, but I want to see the bait fish. I want to see the clutter in the water that is down there that, you know, even the, the plankton that the minnows are eating on. I like to see that stuff. So having a little, your gain a little bit high and a little bit of clutter on the screen, it is okay. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that, Danny. I mean, I think we all want to see this crystal clear, perfect image. And a lot of times you're going to miss some of the things that uh, you need to see when, when you have it toned down that much, if you will. All right, Danny, uh, a lot of information to digest here. Good episode talking about, you know, everything Garmin. want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule for, you know, putting up, with us, putting up with us for a little over an hour. And hopefully we can get you back on at some point. I, I mean, you kind of teased that a little bit of news when we were kind of chatting that there will be some new stuff coming. And so we can kind of, you know, catch up again and, and go over some of that too. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. It's fun talking about this stuff and, you know, it's fun technology and it, it's, it's just a great being on the kind of the leading edge of the other technology and what's out there in the fishing industry. So I appreciate it. And thanks for having me guys. Absolutely. We appreciate your time. Definitely. Uh, hopefully going to give some listeners a little bit different view on uh, some different electronic options. And for our listeners, we want to thank you all for putting up with us again for another episode. And we'll see everybody again with a new episode of Backlash Podcast next Wednesday.